What's up, guys? This is Rob Pearsall, and you're listening to the Mets Legends Cast. I, of course, am joined by my co-host, Alex Carigliano Michelli. Alex, what's going on, buddy? How we doing? Rob, I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful? I, that's, that's exceptional. Yeah, I made a nice tuna salad. You like tuna salad, Robert? Depends. You made you put like tuna on top of like leafy greens, or you made like tuna with mayo and celery and carrots, and put it on a couple slices of toast. What are you talking? Yeah, about I, here? I I didn't have any celery or carrots on hand, but I yeah, I put in the mayonnaise, and I always use a vegan mayonnaise. I don't know, just regular mayonnaise freaks me out. So use a vegan mayonnaise. Uh, I uh, I like to put in some relish, or if I don't have like relish, I put in some pickle juice and chop up some like pickles real small. Uh, put you in gotta some get the like crunch shallots. factor in there. You got to get some crunch factor in there. Yeah, get the crunch is the crunch is important, and I and I like the kind of like is tangy the right word? I don't know. I, I like what pickles bring to the table in this equation. I love and tuna. Just like a like like a lot of cracked pepper, just a lot oh, of yeah. cracked pepper. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Tuna is very nostalgic for me because my grandma used to make it a lot and it was always a staple. Nice toast, tuna, Lay's potato chips, a pickle spear, and uh, yeah, just a really nice, really nice, like summery kind of meal. Tuna's always been a staple, so I approve. Uh, this podcast brought to you by Tuna, Tuna, the chicken of the sea. Anyway, I prefer Starkist. I get, I don't even, I can't even tell you the name of the brand that I get. I get it from Whole Foods. You get Whole or, Foods brand. Actually, no, I get a big pack of it from Costco, but they have it at Whole Foods too. Anyway, this podcast uh, brought to you by Costco. Costco, do you need too much of it? Go to Costco. Do you need a TV and jeans and a big bag of potato chips? Go to Costco. All Kirkland, need... all Kirkland's brand. Kirkland's makes Kirkland vodka. Brand. It's not bad. It's not bad. I don't think I've bought vodka in my adult life. Really? Unless I've bought it from my parents. Yeah, I, I'm not a vodka dude. I'm a I'm a dark liquor homie and wine and beer. I mean, same. I I but every once in a while I I enjoy a nice vodka soda, um, or like yeah. a Bloody Mary or something like that. I love Bloody still, Marys. I, I feel like I could get big into the Bloody Mary game. I feel like I could be I could be Bloody Mark, you know? But Dude, you would love Bloody Marys. They're so I, good. I know, and I feel like I feel like I just I just need to cross the hump. I don't know. I I feel like I tried it when I was when I was much younger and wasn't about it. But I I, 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 I as someone who enjoys a brunch and, and enjoys a lot of brunch traditions when when I when I get there, you know I don't get brunch often, but when I get brunch, it's well, all right. Well, well I'm gonna get pancakes for the table. I'm gonna have my poached eggs and uh, mimosa. You get a mimosa. You get a, you gonna get a mimosa. If I get a mimosa, am I am I doing too much? I'll just get an orange juice if you don't if you don't want. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, we're gonna get mimosas. You know. Uh, so I feel like if I just add a bloody mary to the equation, I could probably live my dare I say my best self. I was going to say, like, you need to go to brunch sometime because that's the perfect like, – on, like, a Sunday afternoon, I just have a nice Bloody Mary. It's just, my, my my mom, like, would always have them – like or not always, but she would have them periodically when I was growing up. And 
she used to make me like virgin bloody marys and stuff and so uh <laughs> i don't know just like she just I, she just gave you virgin bloody mary she just just, she tomato just gave juice. you like she gave yeah. me tomato juice she gave you like a, a jar of prego <laughs> with a straw and said drink it my sweet rob <laughs> no but then like i don't know so like i've always kind of liked bloody marys and then like when i first had my first alcoholic one or just a real, I don't know. There's something weird about savory alcohol because it's not really a thing, but they just really work. You put like a little celery, like a like a celery stalk in there, and crunch on it. it. Kind of absorbs that salty and like tomatoiness from the Bloody Mary. It's so good. A little Worcestershire sauce, a little Tabasco in there. I'm starting to salivate. Truthfully, I, I love me a good Bloody Mary. Let's but anyway. So this is not about were, Bloody you, Marys. Yeah, you said you were gonna get me a drink for my birthday coming up. You're gonna get me a Bloody Mary. We're getting brunch, dude. So at grocery stores, they make like Bloody Mary mix. So we Ooh. could just like buy that and like buy like vodka for your first time since you've never bought it as an adult. <laughs> and I'll bring the celery. I'll bring the Bloody Mary mix. You you go buy the vodka. That'll be your task. And then we'll we'll mix it all up and we'll have Bloody Marys and watch the sunset together. This is really cool. Ever, ever, folks listening, you were listening to Magic right now. This is like the meet cute, except we've known each other for uh, uh, quite a bit now. I was about to say forever, but that's not true. But it feels like that, Rob. It feels like that. I don't remember life without you, buddy. It's all a blur. So uh, let's you, get on the topic, right? <laughs> okay, what? Hmm? What? So, hmm? Huh? I didn't say I love bro? you. Bro? Bro? Hey, bro? 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 All right. <laughs> the Mets saw an old friend this week. Friend I use loosely. I don't know how the Mets... The, clearly, the Mets don't hold him in very high regard because an anonymous player was complaining about him, which we'll get to in a second. But Marcus Stroman, we saw the return of Marcus Stroman... In full effect this week, Stroman pitched eight innings, scattered two runs on four hits, and pitched his ninth quality start of the season against the Mets in the Cubs' victory on Wednesday. Tuesday? Wednesday? What's today? Thursday. It was... He pitched two, Wednesday. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. Yeah, it was Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday. We're recording on Thursday. And Stroman who is off to a great start this year. He's 4-4 four and four with a 295 ERA, 373 FIP, 369 XFIP. He leads the majors with nine quality starts, and he has 1.1 wins above replacement, according to fan graphs. He was very animated after pitching eight innings against his former team. You could see him pounding his chest, maybe chirping some stuff at the Mets dugout. And one former Met was a little bit upset about it and said, quote, Show some respect. Be professional. It isn't all about you. And that was anonymous, obviously. Stroman, obviously, as we know, is outspoken and is very active on Twitter and is polarizing to a lot of people. But personally, I don't really I don't really disagree with him on this one. Like I don't I don't really see anything wrong with it. I mean, I saw someone bring up like if he had done this against the Blue Jays when he was on the Mets. We'd all be really fired up about it. We'd be like, "Yeah, you know, like, you know, this is our guy now, and we're stoked." So I don't, I don't know. I don't really fault him for being super happy about him about about pitching well against his former team. I don't know. I, I feel like it's just like I'm going to pick my battles. That's one where I'm not going to really be upset about. There's other things that we could talk about that. 
I think I would have maybe more of an issue with with the way that he can go about things sometimes. But in this scenario, I don't know. Like, it, I don't. That doesn't bother me that much. Yeah, you know, I've I've actually I really enjoyed Strowman when he was on the Blue Jays. So I was pretty stoked when the Mets traded for him. So was I. I bought a Marcus Strowman shirt immediately. I was at his first City Field start wearing a Strowman shirt. I still have it. It's the number zero. It's uh, sorry. It's the number seven. When he first came over, he wore number seven right. before he switched to zero. So I was right. I was on the Strowman bandwagon. Um, so I totally get it. Yeah, um, and. I remember being really annoyed uh, because he he is very animated on the mound, and it does very much frustrate a certain subset of the population. And it is no secret that MLB leans very heavily conservative, whether it's the people watching, whether it's the players, where so many of them come from the South and the Midwest. It's it's um, and it's overwhelmingly white uh it's it's very conservative so when they see him you know doing all all of his things on, on the mound it, it really frustrates you know a lot of people and and i remember i was a fierce uh stroman defender because it, it was pretty obvious like i mean and I'm, I'm from long island and it's 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 no secret like long island's pretty racist and so <laughs> i i defend it's true it's it's true uh, but what what annoyed me about Strowman is just how he would always have to engage with people online. Like you don't you don't want to be chronically online. It's it's a it's a poison. I've learned how to how to control myself a little bit online. I'm still engaging with too many idiots on Twitter, uh, but it's not as much as it used to be because I don't know these people. Why am I why am I picking fights? I don't know you. Why am I correcting you? I'm not getting involved in this. You know how many tweets I've deleted while typing. I'm like nah. I don't need to say this. And I just wish I wish Stroman could find that because that's where he gets himself in a lot of trouble. And and you know what? But I, I and I was watching him last night and you know, I, I, I checked in around the fifth inning. Uh and then you know he comes up in the sixth and he's at fifty like six pitches at the top of the seventh inning. I mean that's that's awesome, you know. I mean that's crazy. I mean I was I was mad. I was just hoping for like one more you know, you you just knew watching after, especially after Francisco Alvarez hit that huge home run, that if the Mets are going to score again against him, it has to be, you know, another hanging pitch for for a home run. It's the only way because they weren't able to string together any rallies against him. So many ground ball outs. It was it was, you know, it was a very impressive performance, and I and I was very impressed with him. I, I was a little annoyed. Not really, like, but I kind of rolled my eyes at the end because I just knew that there was going to be a lot of discourse around it. Just as we're contributing to it right now, but yeah, who, well, who you, I mean, it sucks who, because yeah. I, I would rather like not be on the receiving end of like you know him him shoving it to the Mets. But oh, yeah, it sucks. but that's how baseball is, right? It's like it's like you can't be upset when a guy bat flips, you know. Um, in certain scenarios, right? Like you can't be upset if a guy bat flips against your team, you know, and then be happy when a guy bat flips against the other team. It's just just the way that it goes, right? Like if the Mets wanted to, if the Mets wanted to not have Showman Strowman um, celebrate, they could have scored more runs off of him. I mean, that's just how it goes, right? Like so, you can't get upset for the guy for being fired up. Um, 
but yeah, it was just it was something that I was very interested to see how it would pan out, especially how he left the Mets and how it didn't really end on the most positive of notes. It seemed like yeah, I he wish probably, he didn't say all that stuff. It he, wasn't necessary. He probably wanted to come back. I think that's what it comes down to. Like he's from Long Island, pitching in. I mean, I'm sure he grew up a Yankee fan, but he did say that he owned you know the black Mets jerseys when he was a kid and everything so he might have just been one of those guys that was more a baseball fan or whatever it was but he's from Long Island and is pitching for his one of his hometown teams i'm sure that that's amazing you're pitching in one of the biggest markets in the world and so for where it seemed like they weren't going to bring him back he was upset about it and that's why he talked about it like that obviously he probably went about it in a way that wasn't right but or or he shouldn't have but you know, it is what it is. He's on the Cubs now. He's having a really good season. He has 1.1 wins above replacement, like I mentioned already, which is great. He's he's having a really awesome season. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it was kind of like a weird thing to get upset about. Um, you, I mean, like I said, you could judge him and you can fault him for the way he goes about some other things, like you know, like whatever. But this is just not one of those moments. Pete Alonso actually disagreed. He said it didn't bother him, and I, I mean, Alonso's Alonso's is his former teammate, and you know, I'm sure that they're friends or whatever it is. But I think Alonso is right. You know, it, there's no reason to get upset about it. The Mets got shut down. Who do you think it was who uh, complained? Who complained? I don't know. My, I think my gut was Max Scherzer, but I, I can't see Max really getting upset about that. Like, Matt, Max is animated on the mound too, and he does really well. And you know, I'm sure that if Max has like some crazy dominant outing against the Dodgers or the or the Nationals, he's going to be happy to say I told you so as well. So, um, oh, what a surprise! What a surprise! I'm sorry. I have, I have the. Uh, <laughs> The game day up of the of the Mets game right now, uh, Mets rallied in the third against Hendricks. The um, bunch of singles, uh, N- uh, Nimmo was on. Pete got on. Uh, Beatty drove some in. I think I'm getting the order wrong a little bit. Marte drove in some. It's four to one. Daniel Vogelback is up. It's Marte four to one. Is, who? Cubs? Four to one Mets. Okay. Four to one Mets. No, it's good. Good rally. I was, I was staying silent while you were talking, just kind of like paying attention to it. Marte still second, and I don't want to get it. You know, get ahead of my skis a little bit and step on our next topic. But Vogelback is up, and he goes down looking at strike three. Well, I mean that's a good segue then, right? Because another topic we want to talk about is is it time for Vogelback to go? And clearly, yes. I know where you stand. <laughs> I stand. I am firmly planting my flag on get him out of your mountain. And here's a little background. I mean, Vogelback gets on base. We all know that. He has a 368 on base percentage. He's in the 98th percentile in walks, according to Baseball Savant. His hard hit rate is 91st in the 91st percentile. And he, he has a 96th percentile chase rate as well. But he also has 0.1 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs and Baseball Reference. And he only has two home runs all year. So... The big thing with Vogelback is when they acquired him last year, it made sense. They needed a guy who could hit for some power from the left-handed side of the plate. They were kind of in the stretch run at that point. It was a little bit before the trade deadline. They were reinforcing the roster with a power bat. And when he first came over to the Mets, he became a fan favorite. People wearing Vogelback jerseys at the stadium. He was a big sensation. 
when the Mets brought him back, he has a he has team control until and through next season. So he's playing on the cheap here. But the thing is, Vogelback's a one dimensional player to begin with. He doesn't play the field. He just DHs. He only plays against righties primarily. And he's here for his power bat, which he just hasn't he just hasn't channeled yet this year. I was gonna say channeled in on, but I kind of mixed up that with hone in. He hasn't honed in on that this year. So and I think the big thing with, with Vogelback too is that he's he's under team control, but he's not part of the long term solution. So I'm kind of with you, Alex. I, I think that it might be time to end the Vogelback experiment. Yeah, I mean I, I think I've made my feelings very clear on the DH spot. Um, I think platoons have their advantages, especially if you're using them, you know, very strategically throughout your roster. Just look at the 2021 San Francisco Giants who executed their platoons perfectly. Where not, it wasn't just the platoons and putting their guys in the best position possible to do well, uh, but it seemed like every single person on their roster had a career year, and it dragged them to 107 wins. But the thing about platoons is you really are playing a tricky game because baseball is a game of timing. It's a game of rhythm. You're taking people out. They're not getting playing every day. Sometimes you know you could be putting platooning someone on their on their bad day every single time. You know it could be something as crazy as that. And especially when you're looking at the DH position, where after that at bat, they're just sitting back down on the bench and they're not going out in the field, I think it could really mess with their rhythm. And then especially when it's never going to be fair because your left-handed bat in that platoon is going to see more at-bats because there's always going to be more right-handed pitchers. Always. And so if there's someone who's exclusively hitting left-handed pitchers, they're not just going to get a lot of at-bats. I just don't really think it makes sense to roster a guy who's so one-dimensional, really, especially when you have Mark Vientos on the team who, for whatever reason, Buck Showalter does not want to play. He only has 14 plate appearances so far after hitting 13 home runs in 166 uh, plate appearances at AAA this year. That was on pace for like 40-something, which would have been a record, um, I believe, in, in the – you know, in the in the league in the minors, he had a 1.104 OPS, 13 home runs, 37 RBIs, 19 walks. The guy was playing really well, and obviously it's AAA. There's a big jump from AAA to the majors, but at this point, what more does the kid have to show in AAA? He doesn't have anything to show. He needs to come up here and he needs to get regular at bats. He has one home run so far this year, halfway to the total of Vogelbacks. And one of those home runs was really clutch. It was in that comeback game against the Tampa Bay Rays, like we talked about last week. And that's when. And and then after that, it's just so weird. It's like I don't know why Buck Showalter has been so weird about giving the young guys playing time this year. Or like he's like, I mean, he's still batting Francisco Alvarez ninth, which you know we're talking about. We'll talk about Alvarez in a little bit, but he's not playing Vientos. And I don't know if it's just like coming from the front office where they want Vogel back to play or whatever. But why do you have Mark Vientos up here? If he's going to ride the pine or if he's going to play every three days or whatever it is at this point, you can save roster space. Just have Vientos be the DH. He's a young kid. He can very well be a part of this team. I don't need him to play the field. He might have flaws in his swing, but I'd at least like to see. And then you never know if the guy's going to hit 20, 30 home runs a year. If he has that kind of potential, 
I would just rather him hit against righties and lefties. Vogelback's clearly not getting the job done in the power department, and who knows, maybe he'll go on a tear, and maybe he'll hit a lot of home runs, but it just hasn't happened yet. There's too many times where Vogelback goes up to the plate, and he stands there, and he watches strike three, you know? Um, so I think it's time that the Mets give Vientos the extended look, and it's not, that's not a hot take. You know, it's a tepid take. Everyone probably agrees with that at this point, too. But I think it just needs to be said because either have Vientos get regular bats in the minors, trade him if he's not going to be a guy that you think that is going to be a part of the team, or let him see, you know, let him try to spread his wings and fly. I think that he's earned it, and I think that I would like to see if he can give the Mets some sort of power long term, then have Vogel back, who we know is not going to be here long term. Yeah, and it's not like it's a contract thing. They probably like the, you know, the bit of flexibility he brings with the fact that he's really only costing them like a million dollars this year. But, but Vientos is making league minimum. Yeah, exactly. He's making league, you know, league minimum. It's not like you're throwing out a lot of money if you get rid of Vogelback. And I think he has his uses. Once again, a guy who gets on base, uh, who could be, you know, because the Mets don't have a lot of left-handed bats. It's really like if you get rid of Vogelback, yeah, it's your two. You, it's your two switch hitters who, you know, Marte's power has kind of been gone recently, but he's he's gotten hot ever since. I don't want to say he's gotten hot, but he's been much better the last, like, two weeks since dropping down the order. And Lindor still has a lot of power. He just hasn't been really hitting those home runs, but he's, like, one of the leaders in, in doubles. What I'm getting at is it's those two, the switch hitters, and then McNeil and Nimmo, who also also aren't power guys. So I, I can understand the temptation to to hold on to Vogelback as as a left-handed guy, but I think I, I think they're just not reading him the right way because because he's a DH guy and he's a big guy, and I think people's biases biases whatever it, they're just making an assumption that he's. This big, strong guy. It's like how when whenever people see like a um, a black quarterback, they assume he's uh, like a running quarterback. Like people, a lot of people were like said that. I mean, I know you're you're not like a you don't watch football, but it's kind of an assumption that people make. It's like, oh, he's going to be a running quarterback, and but that's not who Geno Smith was. That's what they wanted him to be. And with Vogelback, like, well, he's a big guy, so he's got to have a a huge amount of power. He has he has sixty nine home runs, nice for in his career. Yeah, and and he is a power, but he he is a guy who can muscle up on them, but he he's not doing it this year. Um, and I think that we were talking a little bit about it before the podcast. I would be okay with like with like how they how they got Vogel back last year. How it was one of those things where they got him. For the second half of the season, they were going to platoon him. They got Darren Ruff. It didn't work, but they were going to just platoon those guys at DH, and that's how they were going to fill that spot in the lineup. Now, it's not really working. And I, and I, there's arguments to keep Vogel back. That's 100% fair. I, I know that there's a lot of things I like. You know, I'm looking at a Savant page. There's a lot of red here. His average exit velocity is good. His max exit velocity is pretty good. He's got a good hard hit rate. He walks a lot. He doesn't chase a lot. He doesn't strike out a lot. He has a, His strikeout, his whiff rate is in the 67th percentile. So I shouldn't say he doesn't strike out a lot. He just doesn't swing through a lot of pitches a lot. But he's also... His, his, his strikeout he's, percentage... Because the bat's on his shoulder. Yeah. I'm his sorry His strikeout percentage... 
it's okay. His strikeout percentage is in the 34th percentile, so he is striking out a lot. It's a lot of time looking. But his slugging percentage, like we talked about, is really low. You know, his expected batting average is really low. His barrel rate's really low. So he has some positives in his game. And I think that in a, in a scenario, he can be valuable. But at this point, I don't think that you're really losing a whole lot by trying to trade him or giving Vientos more at-bats. Um so yeah, that's just where I'm at, and and I understand people's arguments. They might be like, "Well, you know, Vogelback does contribute in a lot of ways, and that's fine." But I think that in this scenario for this team, what they need right now, I'd rather the youth infusion. I'd rather see what they have in someone like Vientos. Yeah, you don't need to sacrifice a potentially better player, someone who definitely has more power in Vientos to get that you know crucial possible power hitting whole lefty if that's what you think Volgaback is in city field like it's not yankee stadium where anybody who could who could any left-handed batter who could pull a you know pull a hit could you know luck themselves into a home run into a 300 foot home run but in city field right field goes pretty deep it's 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 one of the biggest areas of the park i mean i think it, they brought it in a little bit but it's still plays pretty big you don't you don't need to go out of your way to find a a crazy pole pole hitter i don't know it just it just doesn't make sense to me it doesn't make sense to me having the platoon there it doesn't make sense to me the fact that you're you're doing that at the expense of a younger inexpensive guy who you really need to see what you got in him uh it doesn't make sense to me late in the game where he's automatically going to be taken out if he gets on base it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He kind of makes some sense to me as a situational pinch hitter. He doesn't make sense to me when you have someone in the bullpen warming, when you have a lefty warming up in the bullpen and you have a guy who can still hit uh, right-handed batters. There's no reason to take him out. Right-handed batters grew up playing against right-handed pitchers. They could hit him. No reason to have to take him out for the platoon advantage when, you know, as soon as they bring in a lefty instead, now he's useless. It, yeah. it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I agree. I agree with you, man. We're, you know, we're on the same page with that one. I'm just kind of tired of watching him at this point. Also, Daniel is trying to climb up to, you know, rub his face against the mic. So I keep trying to prevent him from doing so, but... He likes to be Very nosy. Yeah. yeah, when I was when I started my rant, my my voice was raised a little bit. So Samson came over and he's currently laying um, on his back directly next to me. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. Lastly, Tomas Nito is back. Tomas Nito. Gary Sanchez, former Yankees legend, is gone. He's been designated for assignment. Tomas Nito will be will be behind the plate with Francisco Alvarez for the time being. We'll see what happens when Omar Narvaez comes back. It's been a big point of discussion if Alvarez will get sent down. And I don't, I can't see Alvarez getting sent down at this point. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, um, it's not a real controversy. There's no way. But I think the real thing is, is Tomas Nito as bad as he's looked this year? Um, you know, and this year his framing is in the 52nd percentile compared to the 93rd percentile in framing in 2022 and in the 100th percentile in 2021. He was one of the best framers in all of baseball, but 
his WRC plus this year is negative 24. He's got a 0.124 Woba. And it's not like Nito was ever a robust hitter. I mean, his WRC plus of 74 and Woba of 265 last year aren't amazing. But for a defense forward catcher, it's not bad, especially if he's a backup. But if he's going to lose the framing ability and be that bad at the plate, I don't know, man. It's kind of hard to imagine he sticks around if, if Alvarez is healthy and Arvaez comes back. Um, and you talk about Alvarez, he already has six home runs this year. He has a 127 WRC+. plus. He has a 352 Woba. And his 0.9 wins above replacement is almost identical to Nito's career wins above replacement of one. Um, and then, according to Baseball Prospectus, he's sixth in CDA, which is one of the main stats I like to use for catching. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to see how Nito is going to look, no pun intended, after coming back from dry eye syndrome, but I don't know. I think that the time has passed with Nito. I think that he's become expendable now. And I think that long-term Alvarez is the guy. And if you have Omar Narvaez as the backup, I think that's more than okay. Yeah, this is definitely a crucial time. It's kind of all falling into place because Narvaez is on the road to recovery. I think they were gonna go. They were gonna see this week uh, if they could clear him for baseball activity, so he could officially start his rehab assignment. And once that starts, you kind of have what is like a three-week window to come in. So we're looking at potentially three to four weeks of Nito as the backup, and he will be the backup. It's it's clear. There's no con- There's no controversy about. If they're gonna send down Alvarez, that's just it wouldn't make any sense. He already has half the career home runs that Nito has anyway. It's he's not going anywhere. The and and there's and and because of this fake controversy, now there's quotes circling uh, circulating from Mets players who said that they think a lot of pitchers would be very unhappy if he were sent down. He's not going anywhere. So Nito, like, Nito is here. Yep. Yeah. I was gonna say like. The guy's your future. He's one of the former top prospects in all of baseball. He's proven that he can now hit at the major league level, and he's really good defensively too. I think his framing is really, really good so far. Um, I thought I wrote it down. I think that he's in like the 91st percentile in framing. So if you have a catcher that could frame and can also hit, Nito becomes redundant for sure, you know? Yeah, I mean, he had that one start – with McGill pitching when McGill just could not find the strike zone and Alvarez was stealing strikes for him. I mean, it was, and then, and then to have, and then the contrast of having McGill starting on Tuesday with Gary Sanchez, who's one of the most abysmal defensive catchers I've ever seen with him behind the plate. And he had all these wild pitches, pass balls and a dropped pop-up. I mean, it was watching that made me, made me like Alvarez that much more and I've already I already love the guy. So I was I was sick of Gary Sanchez after the, just that one start. I'm like they can't they can't seriously consider going on with him. So, which is why I could be okay having that defensive first guy Anito. Now it becomes a as you were saying it, is he not now that you're not getting the supreme defense and the supreme framing anymore from him and just getting average does he become worthwhile holding on to anymore? I think that personally, because he was so far gone 
uh, before he got sent down that it, it had to have been an, an, um, a result of his desert eyeballs, his, his sandpaper eyes that are just completely dry. Couldn't, couldn't cry through his sister's wedding if he, if he wanted to. He couldn't fake it. Just the driest. Th- think, of, think of an eye. Think of a wet eye. Think about when you have allergies and, you mean and just they get kind of dry. Yeah, and now and now think you mean of it just as an the, eye, just, just like an eye. Think of an eye. eye. Yeah, yeah, dry, dry. So I've seen those before. Poor guy, poor guy. So maybe he comes up and he sees the ball better, and you know, he comes back to his career norms, which still aren't great. If he could get back to his career norms, then you kind of have a situation between him and Narvaez, and maybe. Um, holding on to three catchers, or more likely trading one of them, and it becomes a, you know, Nito versus Narvaez thing. And you know, there's arguments for both. They just signed Narvaez, so I don't think they would trade him that soon. I think he probably had a large effect on Alvarez and his rapid uh, development uh, this year, and the fact that he's left-handed and you could actually have a righty-lefty platoon now. Now that that actually doesn't make any sense anymore, and it made sense when you had Nito and you could hide his, you know, offensive deficiencies. But now you have Alvarez who's hitting everyone. But it can still make some sense to have the extra left-handed bat in the lineup. Oh gosh, I hope they don't go crazy with that because they like their platoons. Same, but, yeah, same. But, um, yeah. but yeah, no, I think that um, I think that Nito would. I don't think that he would play in AAA. I don't. I don't think that. I think a team would take a chance on him because. It's not like he was slowly regressing. I mean, he went from being a pretty good defensive catcher to not good at all. So Catchers I think are a team always would... in high demand. We signed Gary Sanchez of all people after getting released. People are always trying to take waivers on on catchers. Someone will will want him. Yeah, but I, I'm okay with Michael Perez in a pinch, you know, or even if Gary Sanchez just hangs in AAA and comes up every once in a while, whatever. You know, even if Nito does, I mean, let's say he passes waivers, I'm fine with him being a guy that could be a third string catcher, you know, but uh Narvaez and Alvarez is the way to go when everyone's healthy, so but yeah. uh anyway, Alex, unless you have anything to say, I think that that about does it for this podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was This was good. Nice and concise. I liked it. This uh, this felt good. Nice and I brisk really, I, like the pitch clock. Like the pitch clock. I I really enjoy the um, I, th- I like the two pod format. Now I get to talk to my friend Rob even more often. I know that's the best part of it. We hope you guys have a wonderful long weekend, and Alex and I will catch up with you next week. Let's go Mets! Let's go Mets!